It's a great honor for me to be here at the Empire Club of Canada today, which is arguably the most famous and historically relevant speaker's podium to have ever existed in Canada. It has offered its podium to such international luminaries as Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan, Audrey Hepburn, the Dalai Lama, Indira Gandhi, and closer to home, from Pierre Trudeau to Justin Trudeau. Literally generations of our great nation's leaders, alongside with those of the world's top international diplomats, heads of state, and business and thought leaders. It is a real honor and a distinct privilege to be invited to speak to the Empire Club of Canada, which has been welcoming international diplomats, leaders in business and in science and in politics. When they stand at that podium, they speak not only to the entire country, but they can speak to the entire world. Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 118th season of the Empire Club of Canada. My name is Kelly Jackson. I'm the president of the board of directors of the Empire Club of Canada and vice president external affairs and professional learning at Humber College. I also am your host for today's event with the Honorable Todd Smith, Ontario's Minister of Energy. I'd like to begin this afternoon with an acknowledgement that I'm hosting this event within the traditional and treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and the homelands of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wyandotte peoples. In acknowledging traditional territories, I do so from a place of understanding the privilege my ancestors and I have had in this country since they first arrived here in the 1830s. As farmers in southwestern Ontario, I imagine they felt a deep connection to the land and yet likely did not recognize how that connection was built on the displacement of others. Delivering a land acknowledgement for me, it's an important opportunity to reflect on our human connection and responsibility to care for the land and to recognize that to do so, we must always respect each other and acknowledge our histories. We encourage everyone tuning in today to learn more about the traditional territory on which you work and live. The Empire Club of Canada is a nonprofit organization. So I now wanna take a moment to recognize our sponsors who generously support the club and make these events possible and complimentary for our supporters to attend. Thank you to our lead event sponsors, Bruce Power, Leona, and Waste Connections of Canada. And thank you to today's supporting sponsors, Alamos Gold Inc., the Association of Major Power Consumers in Ontario, the Association of Power Producers of Ontario, Electricity Distributors Association, Enbridge Gas Inc., and NR Store Inc. Thank you as well to our season sponsors, the Canadian Bankers Association, Leona, Waste Connections of Canada, and Bruce Power. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping notes. I'd like to remind everybody participating today that this is an interactive event. And so those who are attending live, I encourage you to engage by taking advantage of the question box by scrolling down below your on-screen video player. We have reserved time for a Q&A period after the minister has made his remarks. We also invite you to share your thoughts today on social media using the hashtags displayed, displayed on screen throughout the event. If you require technical assistance, please start a conversation with our team using the chat button on the right-hand side of your screen. 
to those watching on demand later, and to those tuning in on the podcast, welcome. It's now my pleasure to call this virtual meeting to order. I'm honored to welcome the Honorable Todd Smith to the Empire Club of Canada's virtual stage. You'll hear more about him shortly, and you can find his full bio on the page below the video player on your screen. I'd like to now invite Joseph Mancinelli, International Vice President and Regional Manager of Central and Eastern Canada at Leuna to deliver some opening remarks. Joseph, welcome and over to you. Thank you, uh, Kelly. It's always a pleasure uh, to be with you at the Empire Club. Um, I have the pleasure of representing over 140,000 uh, members across Canada and over 100,000 here in the province of Ontario, many of whom uh, work in the construction industry and are a critical workforce for Ontario's energy sector. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity here today to introduce our keynote speaker uh, this afternoon, Minister of Energy, the Honorable Todd Smith. For over 25 years, he has been the trusted voice uh, in the Quinty region, a graduate of Loyalist College. Uh, he embarked on a 16-year career in radio broadcasting, serving as the voice of the Belleville Bulls hockey and rising as news director at Quinty Broadcasting. He was first elected in 2011 in the riding of Prince Edward Hastings. While in opposition, he served as the critic for several portfolios, including the energy file. In 2018, he was elected in the new Bay of Quinty riding as part of the Ford government and has served numerous portfolios, including government house leader, minister of government and consumer services, minister of economic development, job creation and trade, Minister of Children and Community and Social Services, and now, of course, Minister of uh, Energy. He is a strong proponent of Ontario's nuclear advantage, and the minister recently visited Bruce Power, a large employer and partner of Leuna, to explore their ongoing commitment to working with the government of Ontario and to deliver clean, reliable electricity to families and businesses across the province of Ontario and life-saving medical isotopes across our planet. Our minister is dedicated to strengthening Ontario's energy portfolio, including run running one of the world's cleanest energy grids to deliver Canada's first commercial grid scale, small modular reactor, SMRs, to making Ontario a more competitive place to do business with lower energy costs, Ontario energy sector is in a new power play, creating thousands of jobs for our members and thousands of jobs for skilled trades, as well as advancing economic activity in the province of Ontario. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Minister Todd Smith. Thanks very much, uh, Joseph, uh, for that introduction. And, and thanks, uh, Kelly, for all the work uh, that you and your team have done to make this event possible today. Uh, I know there are hundreds literally on the line. All we're missing is the uh, 
chicken dinner to make it fully complete, but, uh, but we are excited and I'm energized uh, to be here with all of you today to talk about Ontario's energy advantage. Uh, before we begin, though, I would like to take just a moment to recognize the tragic loss of a worker involved in the Wate Nakiniap Power Project, otherwise known as the Wate Project, uh, who passed away yesterday. And on behalf of the ministry and our sector, I just want to extend my condolences to their family and their loved ones and co-workers and um, let everybody know that's working on that important project in northwestern Ontario, uh, connecting First Nations uh, to the grid that uh, we're thinking of you at this very difficult time. So, but I am uh, I am pleased and uh, excited actually to address the Empire Club today to discuss all of the work that's underway across the Ministry of Energy as we continue to build on Ontario's energy advantage. And it's my first time joining the Empire Club as Minister of Energy. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to be in the crowd for a few speeches in the past and, and be a part of the energy sector now for a number of years, including three years as the opposition critic for the Hydro One sale and uh, the energy file before the last election. And I'm really grateful and, and I'm, frankly, I'm quite impressed by the sheer wisdom and, and the can-do attitude. That's not a C-A-N-D-U attitude, that's a can-do attitude. And, and all the teamwork that describes uh, so many of the people in this sector. So as, as we begin here this afternoon, I'd like to lead off my remarks by just speaking to the principles that guide me uh, before moving to where we collectively have been as a sector and as a province and what we've done and, and where we're going. First off, I'd, I'd like to mention uh, my four objectives as Ontario's energy minister. And many of you will have heard me rattle these off before, and I'm sure I can uh, sound like a bit of a broken record at time, but I think it's really an important place to start. And it's a good reminder about why we're here. Uh, when our government hears from Ontario families, they do tell us four things about energy. They want an energy system that's reliable because access to energy when we need it is key to how we live our lives. That, that light bulb has to turn on when we flick that switch. Um, it's got to be affordable because energy bills shouldn't be a source of angst for anyone and costs need to be both reasonable and predictable. It's got to be sustainable. It's got to be clean. We've got a 94% zero emissions free system that really does make us a leader in the world, but there's still more that we can do on that front. And I know we're gonna talk about that this afternoon. And lastly, a system that supports customer choice because Ontario families and businesses aren't all the same. They do want flexibility and they want control over the energy that they use. So where have we been? Let's start there. Frankly, it's not so long ago that the topic of energy in Ontario garnered a very different response. Um, during part of that period, I was serving as the energy critic and I heard time and time again from employers considering Ontario as a place to invest and create jobs and do business, who ended up going somewhere else due to the province's high electricity prices. And frankly, it's not so long ago that energy poverty was an issue here in Ontario and letters to the editor in my community of Bay of Quinte and across the province were repeatedly um, opining over the big dilemma to heat or eat. And that's why when we came into office, our first order of business was fixing the hydro mess that was left by the previous government. It was one that ended up contributing to at least 300,000 manufacturing jobs leaving Ontario. And it also resulted in electricity bills that were increasing and expected to increase 
at seven to eight percent year over year for the next number of years. And so it was unsustainable for many families and certainly businesses across Ontario. So we were there then and, and, and continue today uh, to be committed to making the energy system much more affordable. And the first thing that uh, we did after forming government in 2018 was we cancelled contracts for power that we didn't need. We had a surplus at the time and, and that move ended up saving ratepayers nearly $800 million. And, and then we implemented the Ontario electricity rebate, which provides a 17% reduction on electricity bills for households and farms and small businesses across Ontario. We also implemented our comprehensive electricity plan, transitioning the above market cost of renewable energy projects to the province, which ended up reducing electricity costs for both industrial and commercial businesses. And as of today, that's by about 17%. And so these and other actions will, by November of next year, reduce residential electricity bills by 12%, making our electricity rates far more competitive uh, than, than many other Canadian and North American jurisdictions, supporting significant investments that are going to secure jobs for decades to come. But, but we didn't stop there. Uh, for the first time in Ontario, we introduced customer choice for Ontario families and small businesses when it comes to electricity by giving customers the power to choose between two distinct electricity pricing plans, either time of use pricing or tiered pricing. And over the past year, our local distribution companies, we'll talk about LDCs over the next little while, uh, they've supported more than 300,000 customers who've taken advantage of that choice and switched their plan to one that better fits their energy usage and ends up saving them money. And with these major measures to lower electricity prices and provide customer choice now in place, our government's also been looking ahead to ensure that we continue to strive towards our goal of a reliable, affordable and clean electricity system. So a significant step in our vision and our path to sustainability is the independent electricity system, the ISO, as we're going to call it this afternoon, uh, the ISO's gas phase out impact assessment which was released just last fall. And what really stood out to me in that report, and I think anyone reading that report, is the potential impacts to affordability and reliability, which are two of the key pillars uh, that we talked about that are so important going forward. The report did make it clear that a phase out of natural gas fired generation without adequate time to prepare would add an estimated $100 a month to the average residential bill by 2030. So that's about a 60% increase on the average homeowner's bill. And even under the most optimistic scenario, it would lead to emergency actions such as rotating blackouts to manage energy shortfalls. And uh, that's not reliable when you have rolling uh, blackouts or brownouts. And, and these outcomes are simply unacceptable to me. And I know they're unacceptable to our government and they're unacceptable to most everybody in Ontario. The significant increase in prices wouldn't just impact current consumers, but what it would also do is severely hinder electrification and more substantial economy-wide initiatives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So today, Ontario is proud, as I mentioned, to have one of the cleanest electricity systems in the world, uh, supporting decarbonization, 
Well over 90% of our electricity, 94% as a matter of fact, coming from non-emitting sources in 2020. And that's significantly better than not only the United States, but also the UK and France and Germany and many other jurisdictions. That means that if you switch to an electric car or maybe an electric air sourced heat pump, you're making a bigger difference in reducing your carbon footprint than if you did so in those other jurisdictions. That all said, you know, we do recognize the need to plan for a future grid that maintains affordability and reliability, but also strives to reduce the, while small, uh, 3% of remaining emissions that come from electricity production. That's why as we face a, a period of increasing electricity demand, and we know it's coming as electrification intensifies, and also as our nuclear facilities undergo refurbishment and Pickering Nuclear Generation Station flows, that I've asked the ISO to consider a moratorium on new gas plant builds and uh, develop an achievable pathway to zero emissions in the electricity sector, one that balances those key important pillars, uh, sustainability, reliability, and affordability. And while the ISO continues its work on its pathway to zero emissions, we've also taken a number of steps to support this work. Just a couple of weeks ago, I asked the OPG, Ontario Power Generation, to explore new opportunities for hydroelectric development in Northern Ontario. And just yesterday, I uh, issued a new directive to the ISO on how Ontario will cost-effectively and competitively procure new sources of generation in the future. Under this resource adequacy framework, uh, complementary competitive procurement mechanisms, including the capacity auction, which we're developing, and the medium-term request for proposals and the long-term RFP, uh, will help our province meet our capacity needs while we're delivering the best deal as possible for ratepayers in the province. With this directive, we've laid out key principles for the first and future medium-term RFPs, which will see a competitive process to acquire capacity from existing generators and storage facilities. And we've also laid out the initial work, including the initiation of an RFQ, a request for qualifications, as the ISO prepares to conduct the long-term RFP. And it also directs the ISO to enter into two strategic procurement contracts. Uh, the first one is a, a contract with Atlantic Power, and that's for the uh, CalStock generating station near Hearst, a biomass uh, facility. It's the first contract renewal of Ontario's biomass fleet, uh, which is so important to our uh, province's forestry sector. And the second directive, and, and, and this really actually could be the holy grail and anybody who's been around the uh, energy sector for a while, we've been talking about storage and, and this is really an exciting project. It's the Oneida Energy Storage Project in Haldimand County. And this project is going to be the largest grid scale battery storage facility in Canada, among the largest in the world. And for years, we've been talking about the solution to the intermittency of renewable energy sources like wind and solar and projects like Oneida, which can store and then dispatch energy at any time could prove to be uh, that holy grail that we've been talking about, allowing resources to play an enhanced and more productive role in our system. And the third part of the directive issued yesterday also recognizes the uh, critical and historic role that hydroelectric facilities of all sizes play in meeting Ontario's electricity needs. That's why it directs the ISO to design a program 
to provide new contracts to existing small hydroelectric facilities, many of them owned by small towns across our province, like Bracebridge. I had the opportunity to visit uh, one of their facilities with Lakeland Power earlier this year, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful facility uh, near downtown Bracebridge. You know, beyond this work, I I'd be remiss if I if I didn't speak about Ontario's. Uh, nuclear advantage as part of Ontario's energy advantage. Of course, Ontario's nuclear advantage is, is huge. Today, nuclear is the backbone, it's the foundation of Ontario's electricity grid, currently providing about 60% of our emissions-free electricity each year. And, and while the province continues its extensive work to refurbish our nuclear fleet to ensure that it can continue to provide low-cost, reliable, carbon-free electricity for decades to come, Last month, I was excited to announce Ontario's first new nuclear build since 1993, as Joseph was mentioning in his introduction. Alongside OPG and GE Hitachi Nuclear Energy, we announced that the BWRX300 is the selected technology for Canada's first grid-scale modular reactor, or SMR, a small modular reactor, and the SMR at Darlington is going to build on the Canadian decades-old legacy of can-do reactors in which cutting-edge Canadian nuclear technology has helped and continues to help other countries around the world. Those can-do reactors are already located in places like China and Argentina and South Korea, India and Romania, significantly decreasing their greenhouse gas emissions. We know that this SMR technology is truly a game changer for the energy industry. And with that announcement before Christmas, we've, we've seized Ontario's opportunity to continue to be a world leader in nuclear technology. You know, we made the announcement before Christmas and then in just a few weeks later, also just before Christmas, our, our leadership on this file began to pay off with Poland's Synthos Green Energy announcing their plans to purchase key components to build up to 10 of Ontario's small modular reactors from our nuclear supply chain, uh, namely BWXT Canada. That announcement was made in Cambridge at their facility there. And, and this agreement represents approximately a billion dollars. This agreement alone is approximately a billion dollars in contracts for BWXT Canada and supports hundreds of jobs at their Ontario facilities and across the nuclear supply chain and marks the first major export opportunity of this made in Ontario technology. I think this is going to be enormous. I really look forward to the ongoing work with our provincial partners, including Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Alberta, uh, to deploy SMR technologies across Canada. And I hope to work closely with our federal partners as well as Ontario moves ahead with this clean, zero emissions energy source. But uh, more importantly, I really look forward to seeing Ontario's nuclear leadership helping to meet energy needs around the world and making a significant step forward on the global path to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And we haven't even talked about the isotope benefit of uh, our nuclear advantage here in Ontario, but there's a great story to be told around that as well. Uh, our government's also looking to other opportunities and, and technologies to leverage our clean energy advantage. And we know from industry that environmental and sustainability goals, those ESG mandates are playing an increasingly important role in corporate decisions on where they want to invest and grow. And that's why just this last Wednesday, we've been, we've been really busy at the Ministry of Energy. On, on Wednesday, 
I was pleased to announce that Ontario is developing a voluntary clean energy credit registry. And these clean energy credits are certificates that each represent one megawatt hour of clean electricity. And it's, it's been generated from a non-emitting energy source here in Ontario. And this voluntary registry would increase Ontario's competitiveness and grow our economy by giving customers the tools that they've been looking for to realize their clean energy preferences and demonstrate that their electricity has been sourced from clean generation. Even more exciting is uh, that revenue from the voluntary purchase of these credits uh, that we generate uh, from businesses could reduce uh, the cost of electricity for other ratepayers on the grid and at the same time creating an environment that will see more investment and more jobs for Ontario workers. Companies want this and uh, we're delivering on this. Low carbon hydrogen is also uh, a big piece of what we're working on at the Ministry of Energy. Uh, we can also further our province's efforts in terms of the environment and innovation and jobs when it comes to hydrogen. And that's why we really look forward to the upcoming launch of Ontario's low carbon hydrogen strategy. It's going to outline several areas in which our government will collaborate with industry to leverage the power of hydrogen. And we know that low carbon hydrogen has many exciting applications, including, for instance, by storing renewable energy during periods when generation is exceeding demand and then releasing or generating it when demand is higher. And this kind of energy storage can help us strategically manage the grid and, and strengthen our reliable electricity system. So there's a lot, a lot of work that we're continuing to do uh, when it comes to the development of that hydrogen strategy, including a couple of meetings uh, with stakeholders after uh, this um, uh, conversation with you all here this afternoon. So through uh, all of these initiatives, our government's making Ontario a leader in economic growth and a leader in clean energy. Our government wants to ensure that Ontario is a partner in helping businesses meet their environmental goals, especially when doing so can also support our own efforts uh, to further decarbonize Ontario's electricity system and reduce Ontario's greenhouse gas emissions. But, but we can't do any of this alone. Uh, joint efforts with our partners like the Ontario Energy Board, uh, the ISO, the Independent Electricity System Operator, um, industry partners, and, uh, and the federal government are really critical Ontario ensuring reliability, uh, such as our united front on the importance of Line 5, uh, also uh, achieving our broader affordability, sustainability and customer choice goals like our local distribution company's implementation of Green Button, uh, which is going to allow you to take control of your electricity and natural gas bills from the palm of your hand, and uh, Electra's uh, which is one of our, our local distribution companies, Electra's non-wires alternative project, Enbridge's hydrogen home heating pilot in Markham, which I had a, an opportunity to participate in a, a showcase event with them uh, just a couple of weeks ago where they're injecting uh, hydrogen into the natural gas line. There's also the uh, joint heat pump pilot with London Hydro uh, and Hydro One and, uh, and, and Hydro One and Peak Power's pilot on bi-directional EV charging. So there's a lot going on and we have lots of partners in this space that we're working with. And so while supporting all Ontarians through these unprecedented times continues to be our government's top priority, we're gonna continue to support new technologies and innovative business models 
that have the potential to lower electricity costs for everyone, create more jobs, and also attract investments to help our economic recovery efforts. And I really look forward to continuing to work with all of you together as um, we set Ontario up for success and economic growth as we emerge from COVID-19. I, I always say this, um, you know, once we get through Omicron and get through COVID-19, we are set for the roaring 2020s in Ontario. So thanks for your time this afternoon. And Kelly, I'll throw it back to you because I know you have some questions for me today from the audience. Thank you so much, uh, Minister Smith. That was uh, a great update on so many things. And I think, you know, I, I'll take the prerogative as, as host for today to maybe kick off the Q&A with a couple of questions of my own. Uh, but I do want to remind everybody who is watching live today to please uh, enter your questions into the chat window and uh, those will be uh, ones I'll be monitoring so that we can get those uh, to the minister to answer. Um, so, Minister, I, you know, I think I just wanted to to start off and maybe have you comment a little bit around sort of the the pace of change and the scope of change that's underway right now um, across Ontario's energy sector. In your remarks, you talked about so many different technologies, right? So many different partners, and you know, in speaking with uh, some colleagues that work in the energy sector, you know, uh, phrases like "tsunami of change" were things that were thrown out at me. And, uh, you know, I think just as people are tuning in today and thinking about it, you know, sort of from your perspective, you know, where is Ontario sitting in terms of keeping up with that pace of change and that's the, the scope of change? Yeah, this is an exciting time, Kelly. There's no question about it. Um, you know, as I said in my remarks for years, we saw, you know, energy rates in the province increasing and we were trying to uh, to deal with, with what we inherited. But now there's a real opportunity uh, for us to look forward uh, rather than than look backward. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we know the demand for electricity is going to increase over the coming years. And, and that's why it's been such a priority for us to look ahead and, and ensure that we can meet the demand and and get the best deal for the taxpayer too, which really drives uh, us in, in the Ford government. And, you know, these complementary competitive mechanisms, including the medium and long-term RFP are gonna play such a critical part in the process moving forward. Um, and, and as I mentioned with the directive I issued yesterday, we've laid out some of those key principles, including a, a focus on affordability and in, ensuring the continued use of generation uh, assets that we have here in the province. We have about 30,000 uh, plus generators in Ontario, and, and many of them, their contracts would have expired before the, the start date of the RFP commitment period. So all of these competitive processes are uh, technology agnostic, and, and all of the resources will have the opportunity to present a, a business case demonstrating their cost effectiveness. And we've also made a, a number of announcements with respect to uh, to different types of renewables over the last couple of months. We talked about the, the hydroelectric a bit, but we asked OPG to explore new opportunities for hydroelectric. We've completed a consultation uh, focused on uh, supporting residential rooftop solar and renewable sources and, and giving them options to clarify and give them more certainty for their part uh, in leasing and financing of net metering arrangements, uh, like, like a project that we announced uh, back in the fall in London at Sifton Homes, which is a, a really interesting community net metering project. There's really 
there's really so many exciting things uh, that are happening in the sector right now. And uh, we're working with our partners at the independent electricity system operator to ensure that um, we are technology agnostic and we're considering all of the options uh, that are available to us as we continue to power forward and ensure that we have the electricity supply that we need in Ontario. Um, as we think about the fact that it's sort of technology agnostic, um, it's also interesting to think about one of the things that you talked about around consumer choice, right? And thinking about as people, um, you know, look at electrification on a personal level, uh, you know, but maybe buying an electrical electric vehicle to working in sectors that are uh, really looking at uh, amplification of decarbonization through electrification. Sort of how do you see that consumer choice piece uh, sort of driving some of the, the transformation uh, that we may see? Yeah, I mean, one of the key pillars that we've been focused on is giving um, customers across the province uh, more choice and more control over their energy bills as well. So, you know, we talked about the time of use uh, pricing and we're exploring different opportunities there right now, the tiered pricing is also available um you know the green button i kind of mentioned it uh in my remarks but uh this is a, a project that london hydro has been working on for quite some time uh, which not only gives uh, customers choice it gives them control uh over their electricity bills and all 60 uh, local distribution companies across the province are going to be adopting the green button standard, which is going to allow for the development of these hold it in your hand apps uh, that are going to allow you, no matter if you're at the hockey arena with your kids to turn down the heat at home, uh, or if you're on the beach in Mexico, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back there soon. Um, you'll be able to do the same things from there. And, and what green buttons project at London Hydro has shown uh, that individuals who take control like this from their desktop or from the palm of their hand uh, using green button standard uh, standard information is going to save you six to 18 percent on your electricity or your natural gas bills. So it's really exciting time. So customer choice and customer control really are uh, keys to uh, to our success and, and what we're working on within the ministry. You know, I, I think you touched on this in, in, in responding to that um, because it does relate to affordability, right? And um, I know you spoke about that in your remarks as well. Um, and I think, you know, everybody's aware of the original uh, campaign sort of promise lower the rates by 12%. Um, and I know you talked a little bit about being on track to reach that. And I, I think you said about a year and a half, um, but we know there's another election coming up. And uh, so, you know, I just wondered if you wanted to sort of speak a little bit about that, that sort of promise and, and, you know, was it surprising that it took that long to get there? Um, you know, what, what more do you maybe see on that front in terms of the affordability piece? Yeah, so it's, you know, we, we inherited a bit of a mess and I think everybody in the sector um, certainly knows that what we've been focused on is ensuring that we've reversed the trend of, of skyrocketing electricity prices that really, really did drive jobs out of Ontario and, and, you know, we've announced more good news on electricity rates for businesses uh, recently and not just businesses, but, uh, but customers in general. You know, I was the Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade for a time in 2018, 2019. It was really interesting as I got out and met with 
uh, businesses across Ontario and even around the world in that role and talk to them about investing in Ontario. And uh, the first question that they would ask, it didn't matter where they were, if they were in, you know, Ingersoll or if they were in India, uh, was why are your electricity prices so high in Ontario? Uh, so we've done a lot of work uh, through 2018, 2019 and making those changes that I talked about in my remarks. Um, you know, we, we remember not so long ago that we were seeing double digit percentage increases on our electricity bills in Ontario. And, and we did have something called energy poverty and we did see businesses leaving. Uh, so we've taken all those steps that I mentioned earlier, the comprehensive electricity plan, taking the global adjustment costs, the renewable cost shift, uh, and, and moving it from the rate base into the tax base, which makes us far more competitive. Uh, but we've also, by canceling a lot of those projects that we didn't need, because we did have a surplus of electricity and we didn't want to be paying that over market rate uh, going forward, we canceled 700 plus of those jobs, which saved us $800 million on electricity bills. So we've also ensured that we're keeping the cost of electricity um, at or below uh, the rate of inflation each year and ordered the OEB to just have the rate setting in November each year, which continues you know, to provide a little more certainty and stability to customers, whether they're in business or homeowners, that uh, the rate they're seeing now is the rate that they're going to pay for the next uh, 12 months or so. So by making the changes uh, that we have made, compared with the Liberal government's previous long-term energy plan, by next year, uh, we will have hit that mark. We're not seeing those 7 and 8% increases in electricity costs that were forecast in the previous government's long-term energy plan. Any increases now are at or well below uh, the rate of inflation, which provides that certainty that I think businesses in particular are looking for. Um, so picking up, I think, on, on the theme of uh, affordability, consumer choice, <laughs> and electrification, um, I am going to turn to one of the audience questions here. So we've got a question about uh, if you could speak to some of the major initiatives that the province is undertaking to install mm -hmm. EV stations or charging stations. Yeah, so it was pretty exciting, actually. Um, one of the one of the uh, partners that we have uh, in this is the IV charging network, which is uh, a combination of uh, Hydro One and OPG uh, working together. So we're, we're bringing electric vehicle fast charging stations uh, to all of the on routes um, in the province. And, uh, and that's going to make it a heck of a lot easier for people to come visit me in Bay of Quinte. Uh, there's so many people from the GTA that are coming to Prince Edward County. And, and actually, just a, a fluke, uh, the first two uh, IV charging stations uh, that are going to be set up at the on routes are the ones in Trenton. So uh, if you're on your way to Prince Edward County with your electric vehicle, make sure you stop at the on route and, uh, and charge up. And I think those are going to be installed either... I think in the next couple of weeks, actually. So by the time you want to come in the summer, they'll be there. Um, but it's a, it's a partnership between, um, you know, the IV charging network, which, as I mentioned, is OPG and Hydro One, but also with the en route locations across the province and, uh, and the Canadian tire franchises uh, that are located uh, at the en route facilities. And, and every single one of them on the 401 and 400 is soon going to have at least two of these fast charge stations. And... Um, these are obviously busy sites, particularly in the summer uh, when people are traveling, and it's going to be real convenient. Um, you, you'll be able to pull right off the 400 or the 401 uh, into one of these en route locations, 
plug your car in 15, 20 minutes later after you go get your Starbucks um, or whatever it is you're going to get uh, at the en route, um, maybe take a bio break. Uh, you'll come back and you'll be able to continue right on uh, with your, your summer travels. So uh, this is going to be happening, at, as I mentioned, all of the en routes um, and they'll be opening over the next uh, year. So I think it's a great partnership and uh, super accessible. And uh, I was pleased to announce that with uh, Minister Mulroney, our Minister of Transportation, uh, just a couple of months ago that we were rolling these out at all of the locations. Uh, that's excellent news. And, uh, it, you know, it also makes me think about um, sort of just the general infrastructure around that piece and uh, the capacity needs and where there's going to be growth. And so, you know, outside of those kind of uh, opportunities where the province obviously can say, you know, let's let's use the on routes, like let's figure that out. Makes me think of municipalities, right? And what role municipalities have in planning, um, working with ISO, working with others in the system. And so just wanted to know, I know, I know Romo was recently just wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of, you know, how that partnership piece works with municipalities and what their role is in, in helping to support the planning going forward. Yeah, sure. We just, uh, just wrapped up the Roma conference, um, this week and, uh, you know, well attended virtually. Unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to meet in person for that event either, which is always uh, generally a lot of fun as uh, we get together with our municipal partners. I know that the ISO, the Independent Electricity System Operator, uh, for the first time uh, participated uh, in the Roma conference and uh, Carla Nell, one of their VPs over at, uh, at the ISO, did a great job um, in taking questions and engaging uh, with our municipal partners as well as we continue to plan for the future. We, we know that our municipalities are key partners in the energy sector and and so communities across the province are, are involved in transmission and, and generation and, and conservation projects um, as well as community energy planning. I think the perfect example is, is the Wate project that I mentioned earlier. This is 24 different First Nations partnering with Fortis uh, to, 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 to hook all of these remote communities uh, to the electricity grid, but we, we've moved quickly since taking office to ensure that municipalities are fully involved in planning uh, their energy future because, you know, what we started with and, and my very first private members bill uh, back when I was uh, a green rookie uh, in the legislature was, was a bill to repeal uh, the Liberals Green Energy Act to restore municipal authority over the siting of renewable energy projects. It's caused so much chaos over the last 11, 12, 15 years. And uh, so we wanted to make sure, and we, we did that earlier in our days, was restore that municipal authority, ensuring that any proposed project would require a willing host community. And there's also a number of programs that can support municipalities working to achieve net zero, um, including our regulatory changes to explore a community net metering model um, as we as we did um, in London with that West Five uh, Sifton Homes development that I was referencing earlier, as well as all kinds of other initiatives like uh, Green Button and, uh, and giving households and communities the tools they need to, to conserve energy and reduce emissions and, and lower their bills. So we're providing for municipalities to develop or update community energy plans through the municipal energy plan and so far there's been 545 actions and programs and objectives to drive energy conservation that have been identified and, and 69 billion dollars in savings roughly uh, 
amongst the 56 Ontario municipalities that have participated in that program. So there's a lot of engagement. We really do appreciate the feedback from municipalities as we all together try to reach our climate targets and, and we will continue to uh, um, accept that input. And I know the ISO is as well. And um, so we're looking forward to continuing to work with municipalities as partners in this process. Thank you. We, uh, we're definitely getting some excitement from the audience in terms of the Oneida announcement um, and some questions around um, sort of just the, you know, if you can share anything more about sort of energy storage and where that fits in terms of the, the long-term plan and just sort of are we considering um, using batteries to store excess electricity or just hydrogen and wondering I think people are really interested if you have anything more you can share on that front. Yeah sure um, we're, we're really excited about the Oneida project uh, this was uh, something that was started by uh, my predecessor in this file and uh, and I know plays um, still plays an important role for Minister uh, Greg Rickford and uh, and the folks at Oneida and Enterstore are really excited about uh, about this project in particular it's you know, I refer to the Holy Grail and, and, and we've been talking about the Holy Grail battery storage is, is so important to harnessing that power that's being produced at, at times when we don't need it. And, and the intermittency of, uh, of the renewables that we have in the province. So, so having this type of battery storage project is, is so important. And, um, you know, obviously, as, as I mentioned, too, as we go through the RFP process, uh, midterm and long term, RFP process with the independent electricity system operator, they're going to be considering, you know, projects like battery uh, storage, um, you know, compressed air storage. And there's a number of really interesting projects that are being proposed for the caverns uh, that we have, particularly in southwestern Ontario, to produce electricity and store electricity so that we can uh, have it at the peak periods at times when we need it. But I guess my whole point is we're, we're very much uh, approaching this from a technology agnostic point of view and, and the ISO is as well, considering all options. The one thing about this sector is there are so many incredibly bright people uh, that are working in this sector. Obviously, the analysis is going to take place to ensure that we're watching out for ratepayers and ensuring that projects that we are bringing online are going to ensure that we have an affordable, reliable, clean electricity system in our province uh, for years and years to come. Because if we are going to continue to see that investment in our province that we all want, uh, we have to make sure uh, that the price of electricity and the price of energy uh, is affordable. So uh, there's a lot happening. There are so many interesting things. You know, you touched on hydrogen, uh, had an opportunity to head up to Hydrogen Optimized um, with uh, Owen Sound and my colleague MPP Bill Walker uh, back in the fall. And, uh, you know, they have partnerships with Bruce Power that are in the works as well. And so there's there's a lot of really exciting things that are happening in the energy sector. And, and we're open to all the ideas. I've, I've said it back when I was the uh, critic for energy from 2015 to 2018. And, and now while I'm the, the Minister of Energy for the province of Ontario, that you know, we're willing to listen to every good idea that's out there. And uh, I know the ISO is as well. Oh, well, I think that's a, actually a perfect segue into a question I have here from Wade. Uh, so Wade would like to know, well, sort of 
you know, Wade says that uh, it seems that the ministry is only focused on electric or hydrogen technology. You've made a lot of points today that, you know, you're like, there's a lot of different areas of focus. His question is, why aren't you looking at carbon negative renewable natural gas from egg waste for heavy duty transportation? Uh, the short answer is we are. Um, I guess I didn't get to everything on my list. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot of things that, uh, that we're looking at uh, within the Ministry of Energy. And, uh, and again, we're open to, uh, to all great ideas. Um, so I just had a meeting this morning, actually, with uh, a stakeholder talking about uh, such an opportunity here in Ontario, uh, in eastern Ontario, I should say. And, um, you know, we're really pleased to be working with farmers uh, to double or even triple, in some cases, the amount of off-farm organics that they can process so that they can uh, produce renewable natural gas. And I think Ontarians often do overlook the uh, capacity of renewable natural gas. And we've done it here today. So uh, to Wade, I believe it was, you said, ask the question. Uh, this is something that we're certainly really interested in. And and uh, I can tell you this morning, I was meeting with my friends at Loyalist College talking about such an opportunity, so. Well, that's, a, a, thank you. And that's excellent to hear. Uh, as uh, somebody in the college sector, always, uh, always, uh, you know, Love it when we hear about uh, opportunities to think about how we're using that uh, the talent of our students and employees and staff and faculty to help solve all these kind of real world problems. Um, Ian asks uh, also something because we've been talking about agriculture and farm in that last question um, about Ian would like to know if you could tell us something about uh, what the ministry is doing um, to examine how farmers could be supported in keeping their energy costs affordable and sustaining and supporting farming in the province. Yeah, sure. One of the things that we're doing actually, and I didn't touch on it at all either, is uh, the uh, rollout of um, the natural gas expansion program uh, that we've had um, two phases now uh, since we've been the government. And I know there's more that we can do because uh, there's farmers and there's municipalities all across Ontario that are clamoring for, for natural gas in their communities. In the latest phase, phase two, we announced uh, that 28 different projects in 43 different communities uh, were gonna be rolled out across Ontario and they do stretch you know, from Cornwall in Northern Ontario and small, remote, indigenous communities as well. Um, and while we were able to do 28 projects, um, we had about 200 plus applications for this. So there's major demand uh, for expansion. And while we're out there in different communities across the province celebrating uh, the natural gas expansion program, we always get somebody from another municipality that says, how come they got it and not us? So, so you know, we're continuing to explore, explore uh, future opportunities. Um, and, and there's always the opportunity for municipalities outside of the natural gas expansion program process uh, to meet with their local natural gas provider, be it Enbridge or Epcor, whoever it may be, uh, to try and negotiate um, deals on their own. But, uh, you know, we're working on the potential for a third phase of the natural gas expansion program, just because we know uh, it's so important, particularly to, to farmers. They can save so much um, on their uh, drying costs uh, if they can make the conversion to natural gas. So uh, we've heard a lot from them and uh, and stay tuned. There may be more on that in the near future. 
I think we've got time for one more question. And, uh, you know, this is, a, actually, I think this is a great question to, to be the last one. Um, I'm just going to read it. Uh, Ontario's clean energy advantage is real and a huge opportunity for the province to exploit in its drive to net zero. How are ordinary folks reacting to it? How are ordinary folks reacting to uh, the move to net zero? Yeah, well, I think the uh, the idea about, you know, we've talked a lot about that we have, you know, one of the cleanest, cleanest uh, grids, yeah. around, right? And uh, sort of, you know, just as you go out and you talk to people and you talk to all sorts of people in the sector and outside of the sector, sort of, you know, I guess the question is, people see that clean energy advantage. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There, I mean... There's been a lot of a lot of work uh, that's been done, uh, certainly on this file, and there's a lot more uh, work to do. People are excited about it. I think there's a, a realization now, especially that uh, we've started to get the uh, the costs of uh, providing electricity and energy uh, under control a bit. I, I think ordinary folks really are proud of our clean electricity system, and and they want to leverage it and and do more. With it, and certainly we're hearing uh, that. And, and Minister Fideli would tell you at economic development, job creation, and trade uh, that there's a lot of excitement um, around you know things like what we announced earlier this week, the Clean Energy Credits uh, Registry, which gives us an an incredible opportunity um, to attract new investment and create new jobs here in Ontario. And again, uh, do it on a voluntary basis. Many of the communities out there across um, uh, sorry, many of the businesses out there around the world that are looking to invest in Ontario are, are looking for an opportunity like this. And it's something that uh, that we can leverage. So there's lots of things that we can do to improve uh, sustainability. And, and one of the best things uh, we can do is to keep electricity costs affordable, because if we can keep electricity costs affordable, uh, that's going to allow us to explore all of these new ways uh, to electrify. And uh, there's a lot of excitement about that, for sure. You know, maybe just one more point about um, Minister Fideli and, and his excitement is, uh, you know, around the electric vehicle front and just, you know, the investments that have been made in uh, a number of different auto manufacturers in their electric vehicle platforms uh, in Ontario. And those investments wouldn't have been made four or five years ago. Those, those investments are being made now because of the stability of the electricity uh, costs in Ontario. And, and there's an opportunity for us to get a whole lot more investment, not just in the platforms to build these vehicles, but also the companies that want to build the EV batteries in Ontario. And it's something we're really focusing on. And it all comes down to ensuring that we've got a, a reliable, affordable, clean electricity system in Ontario. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I think that's a, a great way to, way to sum up the, the conversation. And, uh, you know, we could have probably made this a three hour event and we'd still be going with the, the Q's and A's because uh, there is so much underway and so many exciting things happening. Um, thank you for being with us today to talk about, uh, about those things to update us and, uh, yeah, we look forward at the Empire Club to follow where the, uh, the Clean Advantage story is going. Um, I'd like to now welcome James Spongak, who's the Chief Development Officer and Executive Vice President, Operational Services at Bruce Power, to deliver some appreciation remarks. James, over to you. Welcome. 
Great. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Kelly. And uh, Minister, I have to plead guilty in advance. When the Empire Club asked if we were sponsoring this, they said I could say whatever I wanted, that it didn't need to be concluding remarks. I don't know if that's true or not, but I guess I'm last. Look, Minister, thank you very much for, for your remarks and also uh, I'm, uh, Mr. Mancinelli for, for kicking things off. You've both been extraordinary partners of uh, not only Bruce Power, but Ontario's nuclear sector and more broadly, uh, the energy sector. Uh, all joking aside, there's, there's really, I think, three key points uh, that, that you talked about in, in your remarks, which, which I think are, are right uh, on the money. The first is reliability, and I think your your support for for our nuclear base load, our hydro base load, and building around the need for flexibility in the system around those is absolutely the right ingredients for reliability. That's been the case the last forty years, and it is going to continue to be the case for the, for the next fifty years. Uh, in the area of, of climate change and getting to net zero, again with that strong reliability foundation that allows us to now go and tackle climate change. And uh, I, I know that all of those various projects that you spoke about, Minister, you and your staff have just worked extraordinarily hard uh, since uh, you were sworn in as Minister. And I know uh, you're not getting those projects from a briefing note that there's not many of those projects that you haven't visited yourself. And I think what's also great about those projects that are helping us to get to net zero as a province is, and I think this ties in with uh, Joe Mansali's members is, we don't fight climate change by writing policy papers. We fight climate change by building things and doing things and putting people to work. And I think, um, you know, that's really why I'm aligned with uh, with what you said. And of course, all of those elements build uh, an extraordinarily strong economy. And we can't do the things we do. We can't take care of those that are vulnerable in our communities and make these investments without a strong economy. So I do want to thank you for for today's remarks. You also mentioned medical isotopes. So don't get me started on that, or you'll you'll never get out of here today. But you know, these are some of the kind of innovative things that are happening in the energy sector that are just fantastic. And they go beyond the, some of the things we may think of in the first instance to the health and wellness of our communities and our role internationally. So again, Minister, thank you to you. And I always like to give a shout out to, to your staff as well. As you know, I have the, the privilege of chairing the IESO Stakeholder Advisory Committee, which represents the entire electricity sector. And one of the things I can tell you when we when we get together as a, as a Stakeholder Advisory Committee and we engage in these various issues, it's very clear we have a minister of energy that is out there in the field, seeing the sites, hearing the projects, having the discussions, also asking the tough questions when you need to ask those tough questions and the staff to follow up. And I think uh, that that's really important ingredients for the success of, uh, of an minister of energy. So thanks again. And Kelly, uh, back over to you. Thank you, James. And uh, thanks again, of course, to Bruce Power and all of our sponsors for their support. Thanks to our guests and everyone joining us today or watching later on demand. Our next virtual event is next Thursday, February 3rd at 12 noon Eastern time. Join us as we hear from Business Development Bank of Canada's CEO, Isabel Houdong, on how BDC is working to be the partner of choice of entrepreneurs who are looking to create value and build a more sustainable and inclusive economy. I also wanted to highlight for those interested in all things energy, that we will be hosting the Honorable Jonathan Wilkinson, Canada's Minister of Natural Resources on February 16th as part of our Fuel for Thought series of the Canadian Fuels Association. More details and complimentary registration are available at empireclubofcanada.com. This meeting is now adjourned. I wish you a great afternoon, stay safe and take care.